everyone, my name is Brian Howard. I'm a Calgary realtor who has sold an average of a house a week since moving to this great city in 2003. And this is Calgary Living. I'm interviewing Calgary's top performers as it relates to living and lifestyle in our great city. Some of the podcasts will be real estate decision specific, but most will be about life in Calgary and why we choose to live here, or at least why you should visit. Thanks for tuning in. On today's show, I had the pleasure of interviewing my longtime friend, Ben Eady. Ben's a trained aeronautical engineer technologist, and today he works primarily in the movie industry by um, designing, building special effects and props for such movies as Star Trek Beyond, Maze Runner, Death Note, Predator, and most recently, the yet-to-be-released Ghostbusters Afterlife. He has a long history of being the guy to go to when all others tell you it cannot be done. He's a freelance engineering consultant, and he's helped and designed and built at least a couple of human-powered vehicles of our mutual friend, Greg Kolejesix, which have been for world records. He's designed and built two of the largest rotating sets in movie history, and today he's considered a world expert 3D computer-aided designer, where he's consulted some of the biggest software companies in the industry like SolidWorks and Creo and PTC. He's also been on reality TV in Canada's greatest know-it-all. Recently, Ben's been uh, having a lot of fun making faux chainmail out of craft foam and selling that quite successfully. Cosplayers and fashion designers as well. Currently, he's working on adapting it for motorcycle jackets and making it out of leather. To sum it all up, Ben's a kind of guy where no moss gathers. Ben, thanks so much for meeting with me today. Yeah, my pleasure. Ben, it is fun. I've always been interested with you since the first time I seen you carrying a camera and a belt to you uh, with our mutual friend Greg Kolejesic. I don't know when we would have first met. It would have probably been 2006 or seven. Yeah, probably his second world record attempt we did. I think it was on the reservoir because I, I don't think you were out in the bike record, were you? Yeah. I wasn't. No, it would have been on the yeah. reservoir. Yeah. <clears throat> I've never been on the bike uh, attempts with him and his his world record there. Yeah. Just uh, recently, I asked you to be a guest in the podcast, and I asked for your bio. And yeah. I, was, I read it, and I was like, wow, I had no idea. So I was uh, speaking to my, uh, my wife uh, yesterday, last night at supper, and my son. And I was telling him, you know, guys, I'm interviewing Ben Eady, and listen to this bio. Like, I have no idea about this kind of, these kind of interests that you have. And I'm going to sound like a, a complete, uh, like, you know, um, I, I just know nothing about, I, like, you know, you guys that were, like, kind of Star Trek, type guys yeah it's it's a, it's a different realm than, yeah no no we're, we're yeah it's it's i i like to uh, call myself an engineer not an engineer um because well the reality is is that there's there's the the growing up nerd in me is infused in everything i do so and and did it like i mean i grew up with folks just like you you're probably just a little bit younger than i am but um mm -hmm. growing up in high river did yeah. you, um, was, was this like growing up, you say growing up kind of nerdy. Is that what, how you would say? I mean, was Star, oh, yeah. was Star Trek part of your life? I see you have a Ghostbusters hat on. Yeah. Um, well, Star Trek, you know, I always, you know, just like any sci-fi, of course, you know, I was, I was always interested in it and, you know, I'm not a super well-to-do family. So we always had like, you know, the three channels and the, the rabbit ears and, and, and Star Trek was one of those shows that always seemed to come on for reruns and stuff like that. So you absorb into that. And I found that, uh, you know, occasional two in the morning, Doctor Who would show up and, you know, those sorts of things. And I would just get enamored with the idea of, of future worlds or a different or, you know, dystopia or utopia. You know, you, you got to look at all these things. And they're just, they're fun to imagine because when you start imagining things, you start looking at what could be and because of what could be is what kind of drives me is, you know, what's possible. Um, let's push the limits a little bit here. 
And then I assume shortly after high school, you studied um, and became an aeronautical engineering technologist. Tell us yeah. a little bit about, well, how would you introduce yourself these days, Ben? If you, uh, how, do you, how, <laughs> how do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party, for example? You know, it's, this is one of the hardest things to do because I, you know, I do things online. I do engineering. I do, you know, mechanical design, 3D print. Like, I do so many different things, it becomes difficult. Um, and it's, it's not like I used to do something and I'm now doing something different. I'm generally doing five things at once. So when I go and meet people, it's usually very similar. I, it's very hard for me to describe, so bear with me because it might take some time. But I think usually the best uh, descriptor a friend of mine gave me is that way back when there was a career called an inventor. And that kind of is what I do. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I think people get thinking, well, if you're an inventor, you make things. Well, yeah, I make videos or I make virtual things. I make real things. I do all sorts of, I make art. So you can't, being an inventor maybe doesn't encapsulate it all that well, but it's the best go at it right now. <laughs> Interesting. And um, and so inventor, and then so I just went. I just went on your YouTube. It's the first time I really knew it existed. Yeah. Um, just like like you, you know, some some people think that um, you know, I have a strong uh, uh, social media presence, and I'm sure you hear the same thing. But oh, yeah. guys like you and me probably don't pay attention that much <laughs> to what others are doing. I suspect. Um, I was shocked to see that you have like almost 10,000 YouTube subscribers. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's been a long few years and stuff, but yeah, it's, uh, uh, people are interested in what I do. Like I, I used to teach computer-aided design via video and I'd really stuff on YouTube and people followed me from that. And I, honestly, I got, I got tired of it and I needed something new and reinvented myself. Uh, not so much reinvented myself. I still do CAD, but teaching people um, not so much. Um, so that's where a lot of subscribers came from. But, you know, recently I've been just doing some cosplay stuff, like building fake armor for costumes, and it's a lot of fun. And I, I seem to have struck a note with a few people. And because of that, uh, yeah, subscriptions are going up. You know, it's, uh, it's also led me to uh, manage to get uh, on Adam Savage's show, uh, the Mythbusters guy. Right. Um, that's, you know, but... That's a convoluted story in itself because I was working on Ghostbusters and he was also doing some work on Ghostbusters. So I got an intro that way. Um, but when he showed up to set and stuff, we, he come to my, my trailer to interview me and uh, we, were, we were talking for a bit and then, you know, come around coffee break. I'm in my trailer fixing some stuff and he shows up and he says hi and thought that was kind of neat. Lunchtime, he shows up my trailer, and I'm like, well, you know, you, you stop and buy a lot. You know, there's some other people over here might be interested. And he's like, no, I really like hanging out with you. I was like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> That's neat. Wild. Good. Yeah. So you, you've, uh, one of the most recent shows that you worked on, it sounds like Ghostbusters, the yet to be released Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah. Yeah, that was, like, so much fun. Oh, my God. So where was that filmed? Uh, it was filmed in and around the Calgary area, strangely enough. Um, is that right? Wow. Yeah, so this is the first movie that I've done uh, in my hometown. So when I found out it was here in town, uh, it, it was it was kind of a serendipitous moment where uh, I ended up calling around, finding out who's who, and then got an introduction to the directors, showed up, and that day they said, you know, we're desperate, we need this guy that can do electronics and some engineering to be able to take care of some props, and I'm like, I'm your man. And I showed them a resume, and it was, they were just like, you are the guy we need. This is awesome. So they got hired on the spot. So that was, that was a lot of fun. And how long did that keep you busy for? Is that like a year or a month or a day or a week? What is, I have no idea. Well, when you're doing a movie, they usually set up a, um, it depends on the whole thing. But the window of opportunity for me is generally between six and eight months is what a movie will do. Um, and you end up working incredibly hard. Like you're doing 12 hour days, five days a week minimum, uh, coming to the end of the show when they're really trying. And you're looking at 16, easy, 16, 18 hour days for six, seven days a week. Um, so the, the pay you get is quite substantial just in overtime alone, but it also burns you out. So the way a lot of movie people work is that you do one, maybe two shows back to back, 
and then you take a few months holiday. But what you've earned is enough to sort of float you through that little period of time. And then, you know, you kind of put yourself back on the market and, and, and see what you can find after that. So, you know, I've been working out in Vancouver a lot. And I'd fly back and forth. I'd get an apartment out there and do movies out there, come back on weekends. And nearing the end of the show, you know, the last couple of months of the show, the family doesn't get to see me at all. So uh, when I, again, when Ghostbusters was here in town, I'm like, yeah, I get to work from home. One thing I thought, though, was funny is I told my wife, is that you're not going to see me, you're going to see me every weekend. But it's really not going to be all that much different than me being out in Vancouver. And she kind of laughed. And then she realized two weeks in that, you know, I'd end up showing up at one in the morning because work ended up late and then she would get up and leave. I'd get the kids to school. I'd go back to bed. Then I'd leave. So we wouldn't, we'd cross paths in our sleep, but that's about it. And she'd see me on weekends and she's like, this is crazy. I'm like, I told you it's, it's a, it's a fun lifestyle if you really enjoy it, but there are people that aren't cut out for it. And I, I'm just lucky to be one of the ones that is. You've been doing it for a long time, and uh, you're obviously cut out. What are the age of your kids at this point? They must be teenagers by now. Uh, well, I've got one teenager, a 14-year-old, and I've got an 8-year-old. Uh, they're both girls doing quite well. Um, you know, it's uh, interesting times. Uh, it's Now I'm doing some stuff where I'm selling stuff online. So I'm, I'm at home, but now, you know, homeschooling and, you know, making sure that, you know, the mental health of your children is good and stuff. And, I've got a newfound respect for all the school teachers out there. Um, if you're a school teacher, thank you. Oh my God, I had no idea how intense it is. And it's not like my girls are bad or anything, but like, you know, there's just kids being kids. But if you got 30 of them, it, it's got to be crazy. I know. So, <clears throat> I mean, we're here in the middle of this COVID time. I guess it's like yeah. April, just after Easter weekend, April 13th, Monday, I think. And, um, I just cannot imagine having some like kids your age at home. My kids are in their twenties, but uh, like I guess all the all your parents are are doing it, and you're being yeah. teachers and figuring out how the technology works to you know keep the kids busy a few hours a day and yeah. proceeding in their academics. So is it yeah. going well in your house? Did you learn some new things in terms of getting your kids into school or? Well, you know what is is one of our our oldest is is ADHD, and you know we've we've got everything kind of managed and everything's going well but she's always struggled with school a little bit and I did too as a kid now I've, I've always been I've always been told I'm intelligent I'm, I, I'm not sure if I buy into it but I'll, I'll go with it I believe but it. you know the one thing I found though is that you know we bring her home and then the schooling says okay so we're going to give like essentially homework online and have some courses and the kids are going to have to self-study and, and go from that and I was kind of like oh is, is she going to do well she is killing it really this is one of these things where you know in in our eyes um i'm not sure if we can homeschool or what we can do but i know that correspondence school is something that my kid will be able to kill but having to sit in a classroom and and listen to somebody and i'm adhd as well um is is painful and it takes an incredible amount of effort to to go through that now imagine going through that four or five classes a day becomes exhausting and you can't really keep up to that. Um, I found in college there was a few courses where I opted out and did correspondence and again I was doing awesome. If you give me a book, tell me what I need to learn, test me afterwards, I'm golden and it turns out the same for my daughter. So long story short is is that this is one of these you know golden eggs that kind of comes out of these situations. Um, how we're going to move forward with it next year when school comes back I'm not sure, but these are insights that are, are things that are very powerful for, you know, families and, and people in general. Wow, that is interesting. That is interesting to see how things will sort of fall, like how things will change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, the, um, so getting back to you and, I mean, you're doing this, uh, is it chain mail? It costs, it's, it's not, not chain yeah. mail, but show us. Sure. Um, so a while ago, I was asked to make some chain mail for a costume and making chain mail by hand with wire is, is incredibly painful, arduous, takes a massive amount of time. And my first cousin in Prince of yeah. Rattman, David Howard, does it, and I think really well, as far as I see, he does yeah. costumes and chain mail. Yeah. So and it's, but if you're looking at costumes, so things strange with that. So I was... I was on that and I had another tangent because I'm all over the place, ADD and the fact that I'm generally doing two or three jobs at once. Um, I had to do some research and I was looking up knitting and I saw this zigzag sketch 
And I was just like, you know, I wonder if I cut this out of foam, would I be able to establish this as um, something that I can knit together? So I came up with, this is a modified design of just the string. And then when you put it all together, you get something that looks like this, but it weighs nothing. And it's not, it's, it, you know, don't get me wrong. It's not like it's going to protect you in battle, but it's, it's reasonably strong. So I did this and I was laser cutting it because I've got like laser cutters and 3D printers because of my work. This is something I do all the time. And uh, people were asking for it. And then I, when Adam came to uh, the Ghostbusters uh, set, I showed him this and he was like, this is a game changer. You got to come out to, to San Francisco and show me. So, you know, I went out there and, and showed him and, and, you know, from there it kind of, there was so much interest on his video. I figured, well, you know, I know how to set up a website and a web store. Let's uh, see if I can laser cut them. It'll take me so much time and I can produce this much. And then the first day it became very apparent that there was a, a need or a want for this stuff. And because of that, I realized that laser cutting was not going to be fast enough. So I had to reinvent everything. We came up with a, a die cutting system to die cut this out of foam, uh, trying to get the die made and finding a company that could do that. That was a, um, to put it in a good light was a challenge and a learning experience and in a bad light, it is, was frustrating and huge, but I don't, I don't give up. Once I've got my, once I have an objective, I, I don't stop. And might be a fault if I failed before. Oh, I fail all the time. And, but, you know, this was just one of those where I, I, I guess I got lucky or experience or contacts. But, yeah, so, so here I am selling a bunch of this stuff online. And uh, it's, is it a full-time income? No. Does it have potential to be that? Yeah. So, and who knows? You know, um, side note is I've been asked if I can make it out of leather. We've made some leather templates and tried it. And it's incredibly strong. And it's strong enough that there are some people that were asking me, you know, could you make me a motorcycle jacket out of this? So that I've got a leather jacket that skids on the pavement if I get in an accident, but also breathes. And I'm like, well, okay, well. And then some fashion industry people got a hold of me and said, hey, can we try this and make some fashion stuff? And, you know, suddenly all these weird connotations of what you've made is coming up. Um, even talking about using this as an insulation medium in between two sheets of uh, of fabric um, becomes super light, but gives you really good air pockets. There's all sorts of weird stuff. I could go for hours on it, but I won't bore you with it. <laughs> I remember Ben years and years ago, like, I mean, maybe it was not, well, actually, I want to come back to me saying years and years ago, but um, about 10 years ago, you invited mm -hmm. me to like some pub on maybe it was 16th Street Northwest, and you were doing kind of a focus group on. I sort of see, I, I completely forget, but it was brand new to me that someone would do this sort of thing. Yeah. And, and it seems like sort of common these days that something like that might happen. It was almost more like, this is, I'm Ben, these are all my skills and, you know, what kind of path am I going down? Is that, do I remember that correctly? Do you it remember? Was, I was launching a uh, sort of a, a YouTube show when YouTube was in its infancy. Right. And, and I don't even know what YouTube was then probably. Yeah, yeah, and it was uh, for Mechanical Mashup, and it was a, sort of like a little series that I did with a friend of mine, and I would just showcase, you know, a build, but I'd, I'd apply a story to it and kind of make it make it fun as, as best I could. You know, I'm not much of a storyteller, um, but uh, people took to that, and and it, when I say it's ultimately successful, no, not in the, in the sense that I originally started out with. I, I was hoping that, you know, I could have like a eventually get like a syndicated TV show or something of just being like the crazy nutball inventor. Um, you eventually did. You became on reality TV, which is <laughs> something about some of the smartest people in Canada. Canada's greatest know-it-all. It was a, it was a reality TV show where, you know, they, they'd uh, put us uh, annoying building geeks and, you know, data geeks and just geeks in general together and, and, and have us battle it out on different competitions. And it was, it was a lot of fun. So yeah, you know, ultimately the original vision was not successful. Did it get me things like on to Canada's greatest know it all? Did it put me in front of the right people to get um, on to building movies and special effects? Absolutely. So in that sense, it was a success. Cool. 
neat. Um, on that note, um, Ben, like, you know, okay, so here I am in my almost mid fifties kind of thing. And so I, I was introduced to YouTube probably by you, I'm guessing like 12 years ago, 2008, maybe, or seven, yeah. I don't know when you had that thing. And, um, and so I started, like, I'm an early adopter. I started a YouTube channel and, uh, you know, I put stuff on it. And, you know, today I find out, geez, I have two YouTube channels, like whatever. And I have like eight subscribers or maybe 24. Like, right. why? Is my question. <laughs> and then I, I listen to podcasts occasionally. And yeah. I hear people talking about like, like, you know, young guys and they're maybe their late 20s or maybe they're even their late 30s. Hmm. And they're talking about... Oh, and way back then I did this and they go, they go, Oh, it must've been like 2017, like three years ago. <laughs> I know, right? Like what, what happened? What happened to me? <laughs> well, the timelines, timelines and everything have progressed. There's, there's a book called the singularity is near by Ray Kurzweil. And if you read it, you start taking a look at like even computers, how there's a doubling effect every about year and a half. Um, you got to look at the lifespan of things like even even look at the ebb and flow of, of economic recessions. You know, they used to show up every 60 years and then they showed up every 30 years and then they showed up every 10 years. Now they're showing up every five years. So there's this compression that's happening. That also applies to like, you know, back when you first got online, you think it was great. Then, you know, you could stream audio and you could get audio really quickly. Then you could get uh, video quickly. Then uh, people could produce things like instead of like a movie taking two years to fully produce and, and mash out, you can do it in, in like a year now. Um, so everything's compressing. Things are faster. And, and because of that, when people say way back when, it's according to sort of intellectual volume. Yeah, it's about the same as what you and I would have considered, you know, 10 years ago, say five years ago, if that makes any sense. It's, right it's still got that, that oomph. It's just that the lifespan of new technologies is so short that a lifetime ago can be like last year. I know. It seems like it. Yeah. So how come I only have like, okay, maybe it's 64 subscribers. Why? Like, I like these people who started these YouTube channels in like 2009 or 11 or 15 and they put up something and it went and, and they're like, they're making income from YouTube. How come that didn't happen to me, Ben? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things. Now you might see my YouTube channel successful, but it is, but, uh, you know, you, you don't see the, the YouTube series I did like mechanical mashup. You don't necessarily see all the podcasts I've done. You don't see all the written articles I've done for magazines. You don't see, you don't see an awful lot. So, um, a little side note is I do this speech for, for high schools and universities and I call it failure way to success. Wow. And the thing is, is that Every success that I have is built on a veritable mountain of errors and mistakes and frustration and gnashing your teeth. So if you see somebody successful at something, it's, it's not only that, you know, proverbial 10,000 hours, it is, it is a lifetime of errors that you've gone through. So going back to podcasting and, and YouTube, one of the biggest things that I've seen is I've, I've talked to a few different people and, and coached a few people on this is that you got to find out where your audience is. Mm -hmm. um, so your first thing that I found that is the most effective thing to do is, is to sit down and literally write a little one page bio of the person that you're talking to, of the t stereotypical person that's going to see your audience. So when I went into like say cosplay, they're nerds, they're on YouTube, uh, they're on Facebook. Um, they're not so cool on Twitter and you know, these sorts of things, even give the person a name that helps because it, it, it personify somebody. Now, once you've established that, you can figure out where they go online or you can research where they go online. So my suggestion or idea is, is that the people that the target market that you might be trying to hit is not necessarily on YouTube. Maybe they're on Vimeo, maybe they're on LinkedIn, maybe they're on Facebook, maybe, but you have to, you know, cast a really big net and take a really good look at where it's being consumed the most and then put 80% of your effort into that one. Don't don't abandon the other platforms, but it becomes really obvious generally pretty quickly where, where the people are. So if you see somebody with, you know, 10,000 YouTube subscribers, that might not mean anything to you because you need 5,000 LinkedIn people. And 
the quality of the people you get in your podcast too. You know, when I did marketing and I, I used to do online tutorials like computer-aided design, YouTube was a good marketing point for me, but LinkedIn was where I went. And I didn't have a lot of LinkedIn followers, but the followers I had were super high quality. So think of you're doing a marketing campaign on, oh, I don't know, investing. Let's take investing, for example. If I tell you I've got a YouTube channel and I've got three subscribers and I do investing and I'm doing awesome, you'd just chuckle and go, okay, this guy's clueless. He has no idea. If I turned around and said these three subscribers that I have are Jimmy Buffett and Bill Gates and um, Sir Richard Branson, that changes things in a big way. So a few things we can look at is one is that your subscriber count. Look at the quality of the people in your subscriber count and are you in the right location? You know, these are two things that you really need to balance. That That's sort of like where I generally start if I was coaching somebody on this. Well, just for all the, anyone who's happened to be listening, my subscribers are so valuable. Meaning, at any, yeah. and if you want to list or buy real estate, you're definitely going to work with me because my subscribers are so, so valuable. I am joking, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you might be. You might be doing tongue-in-cheek, though, because you, you might be surprised. You know, it, I don't, it might be that one guy. And he's the one who makes you a millionaire. You know? It's true. It's true. I mean, I, I don't <laughs> suspect my subscribe. I mean, I guess the question is why would they subscribe to my channel in some ways, I guess. But um, the, uh, maybe I need to ask myself that and change or, it. If, or if, even ask people like, you know, ask people that you would like to have watching your uh, podcast or, or your YouTube channel. Ask them, what would you like to see? Be honest, you know, be brutal. Tell me that I suck. I'm, I'm willing, you have to be willing to take that in because as soon as you are and you can accept it, then you can also go, oh, okay, because, you know, I, I don't know how many times I've, I've given advice to people I thought was really harsh, uh, especially I was in the military for a while and, and you don't have time to mess around. So you're like, you're doing this wrong, fix it and come back to me. And later they'll come back and go, that really hurt. But, you know, they've mastered the skill now. So you got to look at, you know, all sorts of different ways of right. absorbing it. But back to the whole point is, is that, you know, find out what people want. If you want to remain on YouTube, then find out what, again, make that, write down that persona that you want. Find that persona in public and go, what would you like to see? Well, um, that's interesting. Um, and I kind of remember like that many years ago in your focus group there, you asking like that question, you know, what am I good at? What am I, what do I suck at? Or you know, something along those lines and me going, wow, Ben's really putting himself out here. Like, you know, that seemed like forever ago, right? And good for you. Ben, yeah. It's, it, 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 you know, I'd be lying to say things like that. Don't take their emotional toll though. You know, it's not like I'm invincible. It's not like I have any superpower. Do I get hurt by words? Absolutely. I do. But, I've seen that too. You're 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 a bit of an open book, and that's what I've really enjoyed and appreciated a lot. Ben, getting back to so this is Calgary living, real estate, and lifestyle. Right. You've made your life here. You grew up in High River. Mm -hmm. I want to bring us back to more about you know lifestyle here in Calgary and what why why Calgary for you. Can you tell me, Ben, what strikes you about living in Calgary? Um. You know, I've 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 lived temporarily all over the world, like Czech Republic and and uh, United States here, um, several cities in Canada. And one of the things I've noticed is is that Calgary's clean, like it's it's super clean. If you have people come in from out of town, especially for like Stampede, and they go, "Oh wow, you must have had like you know two weeks of crews coming in and cleaning up the streets," and you're like, "No, this is actually kind of messy compared to the way it usually is," and they're gobsmacked over that. It's it's a it's a super clean city, so it shows you that there's a lot of pride in the people that are here. Um, so you know, there's there's that. That's one of the things um, I like. I like change. I I don't like the same thing over and over again. So you know, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. You can joke all you want. That literally happens some days where it will change, like you know, thirty degrees Celsius in a day, <laughs> and it, it's just mind-boggling. And you know, I enjoy these things. Maybe some people don't. So yeah. good for you. Good. And um, what's really easy for you these days? What's easy in your life or work or? Um, you know, in in regards to Calgary or just just in general. Just in general, yeah. Um, what's really easy what's for easy? me lately is is just um, 
I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I'm financially stable enough that I can go out and take risks and I can have a dream and go, you know, maybe I should kind of take a shot at it and, and be able to do so with an appropriate amount of investment capital to do something like that. Although, you know, the funny thing is, is I always look back and, and I rarely invest much. You know, in fact, today I'm rebuilding a laser cutter. Um, I needed a laser cutter for, for something, what, six, eight years ago couldn't afford, you know, the $20,000 machine. So I built one <laughs> and it still works. So, you know, I like the idea that I need it again. Um, it's not running, but I can fix it. So investment capital sometimes really isn't what I'm looking for. It's just the, maybe the freedom to know that I can take a couple of weeks and piss around and not worry about making rent, I guess, or making the mortgage. Yeah. Right. On the, on basically on that note, a little bit, um, Talk to us a little bit about some of your real estate. What were some of your best and worst real estate decisions? I mean, yeah. maybe just talk to us a little bit, maybe about some of your decisions, you know, and maybe as it relates to the, to the boom bust cycle of Calgary, have you been lucky in the boom? Uh, I've been very lucky. When we went, my wife and I went out looking for our first house. Uh, we had bought it just in the bottom of a trough. Uh, I believe it was in what it would have been to early 2000s. I'm thinking 2000. Uh, before 2006, so 2005, and uh, we bought a house for like just a a single family small house. It had two bedrooms, not three, but we were only going to have one kid at the time, and it was 250. And fast forward two years, and suddenly this thing's worth 400,000. We're like, holy man, did we get lucky there? Um, and then you know, I don't miss it. Our second house, which I'm in right now is it's it's awesome but we paid a fair amount for it and the one thing that we did is instead of selling our old houses we put it up as a rental property um used leaned the down payment and everything on the equity that we had in that house to buy this house so you know we're, we're in a good spot but you know you're looking at what's happening now with the economy and stuff and then um, things that worry me are, is the value of my house obviously is going to go down, but like how long, how long is that long tail? I'm going to have to wait for it to get to at least the same cost that we purchased to that. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the second is, and this might seem frugal, but you know, the governments aren't going to go where well, your house isn't worth that anymore. So we're going to drop the value of your house down and then your taxes are going to go down. No, that's not going to happen. So you're still going to be paying taxes, a premium on taxes on something that is you're told the value is like say 600,000, but in reality, you'd be like if you sell it for three. I don't know, it's, it's one of these where I, I get confused, but I'm also, you know, my wife is doing well at Suncor. I'm doing okay, just, you know, being me and kind of being an independent, but you know, we're here to, for the long stay. So sitting in the house until the value is back is not a big deal, but what about the people that aren't? We've got friends that want to move that are suddenly looking at what they thought were assets to help them move or no longer assets. Right. Ben, because two things I wanted to bring up from what you said. So I'm in real estate, as you know, and yeah. I just read an article today and it's certainly not surprising to me, but as being in real estate, well, I know being an optimist is way more fun than being a pessimist. Yeah. The optimist I read in real estate do better than pessimist. And so um, you mentioned that, you know, you sort of like, obviously, or of course, values are going to go down. I'm not sure you're right. How come you think that? And uh, actually relating Suncor, yeah. you mentioned your wife works for Suncor. So I, I, I don't invest in the stock market and my wife does a little bit, but um, I've, uh, the one stock I've known for many, many years is Suncor. I kind of like, uh -huh. for some reason, someone told me about it many years ago when yeah. it was trading at like $24 a stock. Yeah. And that was like more than 10 years ago. Yeah. I think it, has it gone up to maybe 50 or 70? And just a week or 10 days ago, yeah. I was talking to someone about Suncor and I said, what's the stock value? And they told me $17. Yeah. And today, I think it's maybe around 23 or 25. It, like, that's kind of wild. What's happening with Suncor? <laughs> you know, it's, I'll be honest, I don't generally uh, talk to my wife about stuff like that. And yeah. it, there's a twofold reason. One is that, it's not in my wheelhouse. It's the kind of thing that makes me glaze over. I get bored. And I know that Pam would love to talk about it, but it just doesn't work. The, the other thing is, is that she's in enough of a position that uh, if I run my mouth on anything, 
it potentially could be a security issue. So I, I don't, I just try to, if I don't know anything, I can't tell you anything and it's not going to be a problem. Right, right. And why do you think, like, why is real estate going to go down in value in Calgary? Or, like, is it all over the world, you think? Or what's your... Do you have I think it's going to be more a global thing. You're right. You know, and I guess if you look at it in that perspective, then if my value is going down and I wanted to move to Vancouver, the Vancouver values are going down at an equivalent rate. So it's it's still going to be sort of a lateral move. But um, there there's that. And, you know, the, the perfect storm happening is someplace like, like Suncor, where you've got the, the OPEC and Russia fighting and uh, trying to figure out the barrels of oil. It's, it's at the point where a barrel of oil, you might end up being in the negative values. It might, they may have to pay $3 to store that barrel of oil instead of making money from it. Um, and so a lot of these things where I don't feel uh, Alberta is diversifying in the volume it needs to be done. Like, you know, things you got to look at. Um, for example, because I'm in the film industry, I totally understand I'm biased in this, but if you look at BC, they uh, give tax breaks. And for every dollar of tax break, they receive $4. Yeah, it's $4 more net income. So in the end, it comes out to about $3 net. And Alberta, for the life of me, will sit there and they go, well, we'll change the, the regime from a grant to a, um, uh, I can't remember the word, but essentially it's a, a tax incentive. Sorry, a grant to a tax incentive. But it only works if it's uncapped. So they capped it, which then brings it back into, it has the same effect as a grant system. And they, they can't see that this is an almost instantaneous thing because I know of three different productions before COVID that wanted to come to Calgary, that knew that there was uh, going to be a shortage in workforce, but were willing to hire out of whatever patch. And things like oil patch, you've got the welders, the builders, the fabricators. Those people are desperately needed in films. So these are this is a almost a lateral transition for a lot of people. And the workforce that could be generated from this would be massive. Yet they're they're sitting there going, no, oh, no, no, we can't do that because we're, we're investing in a pipeline. And it it's it, it's so frustrating to I agree there should be a pipeline. I think there should be a pipeline. I think that there should be production for that. Do I think that we need to give $7 billion in incentives and tax breaks to do this? No. Can we say do five and put two towards film? And then you're hedging your bets. You're not putting all your money into one basket. And that's where the government, I find, that's that's my biggest frustration of Alberta and Calgary in general, is that oil and gas has treated us well. There's no doubt about that. Is there more money to be made from it? Yes. Is it's something that will eventually die off. Absolutely. So we need to invest in other things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sorry. That's I'm off my podium now. <laughs> that brings us a little bit back, you know, to like life in Calgary and, you know, your opinions about why you live here and that sort of reason. Um, how does your intuition being an inventor, yeah. how does your intuition um, system work for you? Is that a fair question? You know, it, it, it <laughs> is. You're, and it you know, isn't. You're very much you ask me, yeah. sorry, go ahead. I say you're very analytical and yeah. uh, your engineer brain. So how does that, how do you meld your intuition? How, how do you make decisions to move forward on your projects? You know, that's uh, analysis paralysis is a, is a very real thing for me. A lot of people see me as somebody who moves forward. I generally move forward at the very last possible minute after I've analyzed the ever living bejesus out of it and given myself the, the best scenario. Um, that being said is if you'd asked me 20 years ago, 10 years ago, how I believed in intuition, I'd be saying, follow it, follow your gut. Your gut is what will do because nine times out of 10, you'll find something didn't work and you're going, you know, I was telling myself this wasn't right. and It didn't feel right. That's what people see as intuition. But now as I've gotten older, I'm finding that my intuition is based off of my life experiences. So if I can, look at things and and say my gut is saying this i go why is my gut saying this and it might be because you know when i was working on a farm in high school the tractor broke down and this metal pipe broke that's why i don't think this machine is going to work because it's not structurally sound enough it's too similar to that there's always something to relate to so i i'm i'm finding myself going away from the gut instinct not in the sense that you still don't feel it and you still don't have that that voice in your head but more into the, where's that voice coming from? And nine times out of 10, it's coming from experience. And 
because it's coming from experience, you can quantify it. And the second you can quantify it, then you can go to somebody and go, I have this gut feeling and they're just like, great. Another gut feeling, it's not proven. You go, I had this gut feeling, but I remembered back when I was on a farm, there's this pipe that broke and this is why it didn't work. And they're like, oh, so there's, there's meat to your gut. Oh, wow. Instinct. So there's knowledge. So look at your gut instinct as a trigger to memories of the past. And that I think is more to the way I think now. Now that I don't have those gut feelings, but the gut feelings are founded in something from my past. Uh, just uh, as you were saying that, it, I wanted to ask you the question, Ben, do you meditate? I, I try to, but being ADHD, is, it becomes very difficult. Um, I'm, I'm starting to, I, I've just, uh, you know, I've gotten to a point in my life where, you know, I used to look at my ADHD as a superpower. And for the most part it was, but as I'm getting older, my, my energy levels aren't able to cope with what the brain is doing to me. So, you know, I've, I've gone on to some medication and, and to be honest, it, it's, it's broken me down to just about tears because the calm it gives me is, is nuts. So maybe I can meditate now because my mind isn't going to be going here and here and here and here and here all instantly. And I can ignore outside one of my ADD mind is one that I can't ignore that I can hear a dog barking off the background. I can hear my wife's chair creaking upstairs, the fan on my computer. I know it sounds silly, but I hear all of this stuff all the time and I can't ignore it. When I'm on the medication, however, I can't ignore it. And in, in a lot of ways, it's bringing me to now mm. and I can deal with the immediate things that are happening to me instead of worrying about the world and how it's affecting me. Wow. Well, <clears throat> that's great. I'm, and how long have you been doing the medication? Has it been a few years or? No, you know what? It's been a few weeks. A it's, few weeks? It's, yeah. It's, it's. Like first time in your life, really? First or? time in my life, yeah. Have you known like your whole life? You're oh, eight, hell yeah. You know, right, right from school and stuff. People would say it and we'd joke about it. But, you know, back in the, in the 80s, uh, it was, if you said you're ADHD, you had a mental problem. And mental problems back then were not not seen as a medical issue, like a broken arm that you need to fix. Right, right. They were seen as there's something wrong with you. Now, it's seen as something that that is something's wrong with you, and we can work with that. Right. And the knowledge on it's changed quite a bit. So, I think a lot of it might have been stigma of me not taking medications, but at the same time. Uh, like say in the military, um, even in movies, is, is I can sit on a movie set and something will break. And I'm always known as the MacGyver. And I'll go, well, this guy's got tape because I was talking to him yesterday. I know it's in his backpack. He's got a flashlight. We need that pole and some string. And I can bring it all together because all of that's in my head. The average person doesn't see the world that way. Um, they see like, well, what do I have on me? Oh, everything's out in the truck and they go running. And that isn't going to solve the problem now. I do the MacGyver thing. They'll go, you, 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 come here, put it together, and boom, you're done. And that's, that's why they like me on set. So that was because of the way my ADD runs, it made me a superhero. Right. Uh, do, did I want to medicate that? No, I didn't want to mess with it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Hindsight now is I find that I still have that ability, but I'm not that oh my God, hyperactive and, and putting out maybe negative energy, but like, you know, too much energy into the environment of people around me who can't handle it. Now I think I can, you know, be the calm superhero, not the freaked out superhero. <laughs> I'm just curious, this is more for, for me than my listeners. Um, how old are you? Me, I'm 48. 48. So I was actually trying to figure out how much younger you are than me. And you're five years younger than me. Yeah. When I was growing up, like in high school, like I don't even remember any, any conversations around, you know, attention deficit disorder. Or, like, and I think it was just starting to be talked yeah. about probably about your generation, five years. Yeah. Younger. Interesting. So um, how about this? What, in terms of this question, um, how, how about the boom bust economy of Calgary? How do you cope with this? <laughs> and uh, do you save for a rainy day? And how does it affect your mindset? Do I say for any day? Uh, years ago when I was on my own before my wife, absolutely not. I, I live paycheck to paycheck. That was just, you know, that's the way I'm wired. Um, if it weren't for my wife being, she's the OCD type, you know, opposites attract. So right. um, she's the one who, you know, it, after 
it literally months of us dating, she realized how bad my credit rating and everything was. And she's like, you know, I can help you out with this. <laughs> so it, you know, it got down to the point where I'm just like, look, you know, I trust you enough that like, here's my paycheck. You give me an allowance. And it's been like that. You know, I still try to pay attention to what's going on, but that's, so yeah, we have, we have a nest egg, we have savings and stuff all because of Pam. And, um, that's really cool. Um, but on the boom and bust cycle, being a consultant, it's interesting because when things are really good and companies are hiring, the consultant doesn't get used as much as you would think. Mm-hmm. And as soon as things go to hell and economies are falling apart and there's uh, a bust, is that they get rid of a lot of people, a lot of key people, and then they still have projects that need to move forward, especially in an engineering point of view. Mm-hmm. So they ask for the consultants to come in and, and save the day. So during recessions and busts, I find myself incredibly busy um, because of the way I work as a consultant. Uh, But, you know, during boom times, I don't know. I think if you establish yourself well enough in the, in the trough, people will still hire you because they, they want to kind of keep you on the Rolodex in case something happens. They they knew how you saved them before. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I'm immune to it, but, I think the effects as an independent consultant is way less. And if I have free time, I will, things like chain mail will come out of my head right. and then I'll put it online and make money. So it's, it's one of these where I don't get stuck as I'm, I have aeronautical engineering technology under my belt. I make cosplay stuff. I've worked on satellites. I've worked on baby change tables. I've done, world records uh i've done web properties and 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 sold them for decent sum of money i make online video i just do whatever seems to suit my fancy okay. so i'm not because i'm not married to one thing i can always adapt yeah very cool ben coming to the end of our interview um if heaven exists what would you <laughs> like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates um wow <laughs> you know, I just, I would like to know that I made a difference and not, not to myself, but, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, ultimately I'd, I'd love to be the Da Vinci that like, you know, 700 years later, they're still talking about me, but the reality is not. But if, if I can make a difference in some people's lives and make their lives easier in the now, then, you know, that, that's good enough for me for right now. Interesting. Nice. Tell me something that is true that almost nobody else agrees with you on. Um, in, in Alberta is that the conservative party needs to be replaced. Like it, the current conservative party is not doing a good job, no matter how much you think that they are putting money towards the pipeline. Am I saying you need to go to NDP or something like that? No, I, I think Liberal, NDP, um, whoever, conservative, progressive, conservative, Alberta, conservative. We need better leaders. And I don't care what party they come from, but the current situation is not good. And and there's a lot of my friends that are going, well, he's awesome because he's going for a pipeline. And I'm like, but he's missing all these other opportunities because he's so laser focused. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, Room, desk, or car, which would you clean first? Car. <laughs> How come? Um, because it's small and it's easy. My desk, <laughs> my <laughs> office, my room are complete keg size, and we're talking like, you know, days worth of work. The car, strangely enough, I keep really clean, and it's a couple of coffee cups and a bag of, like, you know, old McDonald's wrappers. So <laughs> just out of pure laziness, it's the car. That makes sense to me. Um, <laughs> uh, ben, what, um, what advice would you give your younger self? Stop, breathe, relax a little bit, and, and go and see about, like currently, I know it's only been a week, but I'd say go see a doctor and try to get help for the ADD stuff. Interesting, very nice. Yeah. Good. Um, so Ben, how can people reach out? So when I was like, like you know, <clears throat> I, I, I knew how to find you, and I was thinking, who is, who's my next you know, guest that I really want to have on my podcast? I thought, then, like, I, I just out of out of it, not, not because you came up or something. How, how do people, and then I, I did some Googling on you, and I was like, 
wow, look at that. I mean, I'm going to spend some time on a YouTube channel. Just, I did. Yeah. yeah. But then, um, how do, uh, do you, do you have a website or an Instagram? How, how do you like people? To I, you? you know, I've, I've had many websites and stuff, you know, that, and, and this will sound arrogant, but my name's unique enough with the last name, the way it's spelled is that there's only one guy that really competes with me for the front page. And that's a high school musician guy in Australia. Um, super nice guy. Um, but is Google my name and you'll find where I'm at because I, I'm, I've, I've got enough Google juice as it is to, you can find yeah. me that way. But, um, you know, I use my name, so it's, it's Ben Eady, so B-E-N-E-A-D-I-E. And if you do that in Twitter, on Facebook, you'll find me on YouTube. My YouTube channel is just YouTube backslash Ben Eady. Um, Instagram's a little different. You know, I was trying something different. I might change it to Ben Eady, but I, I had a thought that what I thought was funny is I, I called myself the uh, Dread Maker Roberts instead of the Dread Pirate Roberts in, right. in hopes that, you know, I can elicit the cosplay groups and, and make them chuckle a little bit so but i think my standard has been my name so i should probably change it but i'm not sure yet you know just a a little insight i've had recently with with covid going around and stuff and, and this is not just going to be covid related but is that suddenly all these essential workers that you see out there doing essential jobs one thing i found that i find desperately disappointing is is that a lot of them are minimum minimum wage workers you know they're they're custodians, they're cooks, they're people at the drive-through window. And if they're so critical, why the, insert expletive here, are they only making minimum wage? And you can sit there and use the education argument or um, years on the planet argument. And I think all of it is a bunch of BS, is if these people are providing a service that you use, I think they should be paid accordingly. And they're not. And I'd like to see that change. So that's that's kind of you know, one of the recent insights that I've had. And am I willing to spend two dollars on my coffee instead of a dollar to make that happen? Yes. All those big corporations out there understand this. I'm willing to throw more money at you if you make that happen. But first, you need to make that happen. Ben, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. Fun meeting with Ben Eady. Ben's ask. So Ben and his fellow prop makers from the Alberta Ghostbusters are collaborating to make some COVID-19 equipment. AlbertaGhostbusters.ca forward slash COVID hyphen 19 forward slash. Learn all about what Ben and a few other folks prop makers are doing. What you can do, you can submit a request form if you're in a healthcare facility in Alberta and could benefit benefit from the items. You could donate to their GoFund page. Go to that link. You could donate materials such as PLA filament, fabric, broadcloth, sweater style buttons, sewing elastics, disinfecting wipes, and face mask. Or you could build equipment using their free stethylography files and watching an online sewing tutorial video. So folks, stay safe. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Ben Eady. And if you have ideas on who should be on the podcast, please reach out to me. I'm at Calgary underscore living on Insta or shoot me an email, Brian, B-R-Y-O-N at the Howard team dot net. Links are in the show notes.